Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Today, we are so, so blessed uh, to be able to have with us really one of the greatest communicators on the globe. She could be anywhere in the world, but Lisa Harper came and uh, did such a fantastic job Friday night with the Design Sisterhood Night. And then this morning in the first service, she tore it up. And so we are so blessed to have Lisa Harper. Would you join me? Let's give her a James River welcome. Now sit down, sit down. Sit down, sit down. That, that is like an eHarmony profile. He just made most of that up. He used filters. I was thinking, because I will tell you, every time I've had the undeserved privilege to be at James River, I feel like a mouse in a cheese factory. And I'm just like, I can't believe I get to be here. I can't believe I get to be here. But I was praying this morning. I got up real early. I told Pastor John I have a a message that I've never never taught before, and so I wasn't sure if it was sugar, because I had a purple haze last night from black sheep, so I wasn't sure it was sugar or the Holy Spirit. So I thought I better get up really early, early to really pray through this. And I just this morning thought of this story. I got to take my little girl, Missy. Um, I became a mom through the miracle of adoption seven and a half years ago, and just through a series of really, really blessed circumstances, I got to take her to Paris, the la- not last Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving just preceding COVID. And it was awesome. Um, she was nine years old at the time. And, you know, we went up in the Eiffel Tower and we took a boat on the River Seine and, and we stayed on the Champs-Élysées and we ate 45 chocolate crepes bigger than our heads. And um, I've been in stretchy pants ever since. But <laughs> It was awesome, and the highlight of our time in Paris was we went to the, to the Louvre and to that amazing museum. And when we walked into the museum, you know, they have all these hostesses there because there's so many thousands of tourists that they're trying to kind of get y'all spread out so it won't clump up. And, and our little hostess that greeted us tried to encourage us to go to one of the wings where they had um, paintings of, of modern, abstract, you triangles. I'm just, they don't do it for me. My apologies if that's hanging over your fireplace, but they wanted us to go look at the triangles. And do y'all know where I wanted to go? Y'all can talk back. I'm not the pastor of this house. I wanted to go see the Mona Lisa. I mean, I've never been to the Louvre before. I mean, we're in Paris. We're at the Louvre. I want to go see the Mona Lisa. Um, I am a triangle this morning. And my gut says 99.9% of y'all really would love to hear Pastor John. And instead, you've got a triangle. I told him it should be the sizzling summer secondary series. The fact that he's here and I get to have the microphone and talk about Jesus is, um, it just really illustrates the fact that God uses donkeys and rocks. Um, It does not matter. It really, at some level, doesn't matter who has the privilege of the microphone. It's all about Jesus. He uses the least of these. And I am so, so incredibly grateful 
to get to be with y'all this morning. I love this house. Um, if I lived within driving distance, I'd be here every time the doors were open. I love Pastor John. Debbie has become a sister to me. I always want to be with her more because I'm sweeter every time I've gotten to be in Debbie's presence. She's just so kind. I so respect Pastor Brandon and David and Savannah. I just, I really, really love y'all. I don't know whether y'all will allow me to, but I've just claimed y'all as cousins, whether you like it or not. Um, but can I get us, in light of the fact that our God does use donkeys and rocks and his word will not return void, would you just reach your hand toward that saint next to you? If you know him well, touch him. If you're just meeting him this morning, don't touch him. Let's be appropriate with all the, you know what, you can just like put your hands up in a real friendly manner. If you know him real well, don't grope him. We're in church. Um, but would you pray for that saint on your right and on your left and just pray that God would use, continue to use this time we're gathered together in corporate worship to give them a bigger picture of who God is, to give them a deeper understanding of how much he loves them. Pray that the Holy Spirit would plow up any, any uh, places in their hearts that are hard. Pray that the Holy Spirit would breathe hope on the places that they're discouraged. Pray that just like in Ezekiel, where we see dry bones rise up and dance at those places in their heart and mind right now that feel dry, maybe because the last year and a half of COVID has been really hard on them personally. They may have lost their livelihood. They may have lost someone they love. They may just be so stinking tired of all the bad news that this morning they feel dry. Would you pray that Holy Spirit would breathe on their heart and mind and where they have been in mourning, they would begin to dance where there has, have been ashes. He would redeem beauty, even this morning, to his glory, for our good and his glory. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, first of all, that we can come together on a Sunday morning in a house like this, and we don't have to worry about being arrested. Lord, what a gift it is that we actually live in a country that is still free, that we can gather together in corporate worship and focus our attention and our affection on you, and you have protected this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we have Bibles, that it's not illegal for us to have this love story called the Bible. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we had enough breath in our bodies to walk from the parking lot into this sanctuary, that we had enough breath for those listening online to get up and sit on the couch and open our iPad. Jesus, 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 you are good. You are always good. Take the scales off our eyes and our ears and our hearts so that we could recognize that you are infinitely good, absolutely merciful, so incredibly compassionate that even the things right now that look like difficulty, hardship in our lives because you are a good redemptive God, even this you will redeem for our good and your glory. So give us more faith, Jesus, more hope, more joy. I pray that we would actually look different when we leave this sanctuary this morning, that there will be something on our countenance that when we go to Billy Bob's or we go get a Purple Haze or we go get pizza, that somebody will go, where have you been? Were you on the lake having fun? Because your face just radiates joy. 
Oh, Jesus, thank you. Remind us of how amazing your grace is this morning. And all of God's gorgeous people said amen. And amen. Um, I brought Missy home. Seven and a half years ago, most of you know my story because I'm a windbag and I tell it over and over and over again when I get to be here, but um, I'm 57. I am single. I've never been married. I tease and say my husband won't stop and ask for directions, but um, truth of the matter is, don't be wooing that unless you have an older brother who's not married, baby. Um, Then I will give you my number if he's employed and loves Jesus. Um... But, but I, I was just really broken in my 20s and 30s, really drawn to abusive men. And so God protected me from the men I was most attracted to and the few good guys, godly guys I dated, y'all married them or they protected, God protected them from me because I was hot mess express. And so I really didn't think I was gonna get to have children because I'd really missed the biological window of having children and the fact that he redeemed those mistakes in my life to allow me to become a mom through the miracle of adoption. It it truly never ceases to amaze me. Just never ceases to amaze me. And I remember, I remember the, the very first moment I met Missy, I'd lost two adoptions and a friend had called me just a few weeks after I'd lost an adoption four days before I was supposed to bring the baby home. After I'd been in the story for seven months, I was just gutted. I felt like my heart was just out in the middle of the highway being run over by trucks. I wasn't sure I'd ever be able to peel myself up off the pavement again. But this girl called two weeks later and she said, Lise, I know you are devastated after the loss of Anna Price, but I just got home from Haiti last night and while I was in Haiti, I, um, one of the young moms in the village I was visiting died of AIDS, and she left behind a baby girl who has cholera and HIV and who is severely malnourished, and the doctors have told us that this baby will die in the next two months if somebody, really anybody, doesn't step in to her story. And she said it's going to be difficult because she's not yet in a creche, what we would call an orphanage. And so it's going to be a mess. We aren't even sure you'll be able to get her out of Haiti. But when I was sitting there listening to the doctor, she said, "Um, I just sensed Holy Spirit say to me as clear as a bell, Lisa Harper is supposed to be this little girl's mom. And she said, so I called to see if you'd even be willing to pray about it. And I said, nope. I said, I'm not. I said, I've been praying about this for 30 years. Sign me up. And um, then as soon as I hung up the phone, and Pastor John knows I'm going to say this, so he's going to clean up my heresy in just a few minutes, um, I said a word that's not in the Bible. It rhymes with wit because I was so overwhelmed. I thought, how am I going to navigate this? You know, I'm old. I'm in stretchy pants. I'm single. I mean, goodness gracious. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to adopt a child in Haiti who's really sick and And two months later, I was on a plane, flew into Port-au-Prince. It was so hot. How many of y'all have been to Haiti in the summertime before? I mean, didn't you feel like you were just going to slide right out of the chair and melt into a puddle of goo? I was like, Jesus, if you'll just give me some ice, I'll be a missionary in Africa. Please, this is so hot. (laughs) 
Um, but I stepped off this diesel spewing bus into this little rural impoverished Haitian village. And the minute I stepped off that bus, I was nauseous. It was just crazy getting to her village. The minute I stepped off the bus, Missy's great aunt Fifi just shoved her in my arms. And I was kind of hesitating. I wanted to give her time to get used to me. Found out later, Fifi was really afraid that I would not follow through with the adoption, which I found out how sick Missy was. So she was just, she was just like, please take her. And the minute she put Missy in my arms, she was sicker than I expected. She was two years old, 18, almost 19 pounds, really, really sick. As Soon as they put her in my arms, I was like, oh my goodness. Stick a fork in me, I am done. Now, Missy didn't reciprocate. Missy looked up at me and she was like, I'm gonna stick a fork in you. Cause you know, I was just this big pale stranger. She didn't like me at all very much. Um, I, I kept going back and forth during our two year adoption process. So eventually she got used to me. I became kind of Santa with bigger hips. She called me Mama Blanc, which means white mama. And so she grew to eventually like me. Um, but it was a whole different story when I brought her home from Haiti in April of 2014, uh, because everything changed. You know, she came to America. She'd never seen running water like that before. She'd never seen ele elevators, escalators. When we got to the Miami airport, she was just, everything was new and strange and different. And all she has is me, the big pale chick. And um, I can still remember driving up into our driveway that very first night I had her home. And I was trying to get her out of the car seat, you know, and you know, have, ladies, you know how they're like, you've got to be a NASA scientist to do car seats. I broke like three of my fingernails trying to get her out of the car seat. And right as I'm pulling her out of the car seat to carry her inside for the very first time, she just lets out this blood curdling scream. And I think I've probably stabbed her. You know, I've been a mom for six hours and I've, I've eviscerated my child. Um, and it took me a couple of seconds to realize she wasn't screaming over one of my fingernails. She was screaming over our dogs. Um, I had two dogs at the time, still have two dogs, just different ones. I love dogs. It's part of being single, you get a lot of pets. Um, and I had these dogs, Cookie and Dottie. And during the adoption process, I would take little things Missy had worn, like an old pair of dirty socks. I'd bring them home so the dogs would get used to her smell because I wanted them to love Missy and for her to, to be accepted by them the minute I brought her home. And they were on the other side of the fence, but they were both, you know how happy dogs are. That's why I'm a dog person, not a cat person. Cats are like, you're lucky to have me in your home. <laughs> and dogs are like, I'm just so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so happy you're home. And so I want to date a dog guy more than a cat guy. I want him to go, I don't care. You're in spitchy pants. You're so amazing. Um, and so... The dogs were doing that on the other side of the fence. They're like, yay, she's home, our little girl's home. And they were jumping up and down and barking just gleefully. Well, I didn't know then that the nannies at the orphanage had told Missy that, um, that dogs would eat her because the dogs in the area where her orphanage is in rural Haiti, most of them are wild, rabid dogs and they are dangerous. And so in an effort to make sure the kids never got close to one of these rabid dogs, the nanny said, they will eat you, don't get near a dog. So Missy just panicked took months of integrative therapy for her to actually get comfortable with dogs. But that wasn't the most heartbreaking habit that I had to deal with those first few weeks Missy was home. The most heartbreaking habit that had to be broken was any time I raised my hand 
to fix her hair or to put in a bow or to put my hands on her cheek. Anytime I raised a hand, Missy would flinch because she had been hit quite a bit at the orphanage. She was the first and the last child at this particular orphanage to be accepted with HIV. And the nannies didn't have the privilege of an education and they were overworked and underpaid as it is. And they thought if they touched a kid with HIV that they would get HIV and it would transmit to AIDS and they would die and who would take care of their children. So they didn't hug Missy, but they hit her. And so I I will never forget, y'all, the first, I think it was the second night she was home, the first time she flinched, I raised my hand just real slow because I was going to put my hand on her cheek and I was going to tell her in Creole, I used to say, Outre belle, you're very beautiful. Outre brave, you're very brave. Outre intelligent. And then I would say, that I loved her, and I would say, Jesse, Jesus, Renman, more. Jesus loves you more. I love you so much. Jesus loves you more. I wanted to raise my hand to cup her cheek, cheek and say that. When I did, she, she flinched. And after I calmed her down and picked her up, I said over and over and over again, baby, I'll never hit you. I will never hit you. I'm never going to hurt you. I'm Mama Blanc, white mama. That's what she called me. I'm not going to hit you. I'm not going to hurt you. You're my daughter. I love you. I'll do everything I can to protect you, honey. I'm I'm not going to hit you. I'm never going to hit you. Once I got her to sleep that night and pulled the covers up over, I walked outside of her little bedroom, and I leaned against the wall in the hallway, and I cried like a baby. I cried because I was so grieving that she had been abused as a baby, that she had been so mistreated and so marginalized. And then I think I was also crying a little bit because she didn't know me. Even after two years, she didn't know that I would never, ever intentionally hurt her. Y'all, I think so many of us are like my daughter when she was four when it comes to our Creator Redeemer. I think so many of us mistakenly believe that he might hurt us, that he's not completely for us. And we figuratively flinch, thinking that God is a punitive librarian instead of a loving parent. Turn to Exodus 20 if you brought your Bible in this morning. If you didn't, whip out your phone go to Blue Letter Bible or Bible Gateway, or you can follow along. I think we have this passage on the screen. Exodus 20, even if this is your first time at James River, I bet you, Nickel, you actually know most of what's in Exodus 20 because that's where you find the Ten Commandments. And most Americans may not be able to name all ten, but most Americans in some way, shape, or form have heard the Ten Commandments. You're at least familiar with don't steal, don't murder, don't smoke pot unless it's medicinal. I'm teasing, that's not in there. Um, But there are these parameters that God gives us for our good. I was trying to explain the biblical imperatives. That means the you shall do this is in the Bible. I was trying to explain those recently to Missy and I said, baby, they're kind of like the bumpers when we go bowling. 
And I said, you know how they put up those bumpers when you bowl and it makes your ball go all the way to where the pins are that you can't ever bowl a gutter ball? And she's like, yes, ma'am. And I said, well, when you come to something in the Bible where God says, I want you to do this, it's like one of those bumpers. I said, if you think of the gutter as being filled with hearts, other people's hearts and your own heart, the, the imperatives, like these commandments, are bumpers so that the ball won't crush those hearts. It's actually for our good. It's actually so that we will be um, experienced lives that are blessed. It, he, he's not trying to suck the joy out of our life. It's not punitive. It's for our good. But God's people didn't get that when he first gave them these biblical bumpers. Exodus 20 is where he gives them the Ten Commandments. And right after God gives them the Ten Commandments, here's, here's the response. Exodus 20, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, I said in first service, is kind of like DFL. Isn't it fun to have like, whoa, and really it just helps you look up from your phone and pay attention to what God is doing. So God had a little bit of production after he's given them the bumpers. It's kind of exciting, but then the people were afraid, we're told. The people were afraid and they stood at a distance and they trembled and they said to Mo, you speak to us. And we'll listen, but, but we don't want to get too close to God lest we die. We're afraid he's going to fry us into grease spots of oblivion. Moses said to the people, don't, don't be afraid of God for he's come to test you. That the respect you have for him may be before you and you'll follow the rules. You'll follow this path he has to bless you. All of this has been to bless you. Bet you, Nichols, some of y'all are going, uh-uh, I don't think it's all to bless me. Because if you, any of you, like me, were raised in conservative Christian culture, some of these parameters that are for our good were applied to me when I was a kid in a way that didn't feel good. The commandment to honor the Sabbath. Do y'all remember that one? Head backwards a page to verse 8 in Exodus 20. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner, the guest in your home. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in it, and then rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. My mama is an amazing, godly, incredible, petite southern belle of a woman. And she's Baptist to the bone. And so my mom was straight up serious about the Ten Commandments. So from my earliest memories, I couldn't wear a bikini on Sunday. Now we grew up in Central Florida. Everybody had a pool, not because we had money, just because it was so hot. And so all of us had cement ponds and we had a fence around ours so nobody could see us. But even when I was five years old, mom said, you can't wear a bikini because it's the Sabbath day and we're to keep it holy. And I thought, I guess God doesn't like belly buttons. You know, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought this is kind of a serious thing, this Sabbath thing. My dad, my stepfather wasn't even a Christian. And mom was like, don't you dare mow our lawn on a Sunday. 
It's the Sabbath, John. Because she was afraid somebody from church might drive by, see my dad, who's not a believer, mowing the lawn and go, Patty has not kept the Sabbath. I mean, we were straight up serious in our house about the Sabbath. Do you know in my 30s, I still wouldn't mow the lawn on a Sunday? I might have gone to church on Wednesday and Friday and Saturday night, and I wouldn't mow the lawn on Sunday because I was afraid somebody would go, you're breaking the Sabbath. And then I was afraid God might hit me over the head with a 50-pound Bible. Do y'all remember the context of Sabbath? Do you remember when he gave them these parameters, these bumpers for their blessing? Do you remember his people have just come out of captivity in Egypt? Do you remember that? That God's original covenant people, they were our, our great, 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 great grandmamas and grandpapas. God said, I'm gonna set my favor on you, this Israelite people, I'm gonna make you a theocracy, just like you at James River. You're gonna be called by my name. I'm gonna set favor on you. And then they were total stinkers like us. And he said, now I'm gonna give you a little time out where you can think about your rebellion. Remember he sent them to Egypt? Do you remember in Egypt they were slaves? Do you remember what they did? Y'all can talk back, I'm a sizzling summer guest. They made bricks. They made bricks 18 to 20 hours a day, according to historians, 365 days a year. They busted their behinds and they didn't get a paycheck at the end of the week. They were slaves. They didn't get to work remotely. They didn't get vacations. They didn't get time off for good behavior. They didn't get maternity leave. They worked seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, every year until they died. And the average age for death in that ancient era was 32. So they worked until they died. They've just been rescued from captivity, from 400 years of captivity. They've just been rescued. Do you remember who led them out of Egypt toward the promised land? Charlton Heston, those of you over 50 remember that movie. Moses slash Charlton Heston, he leads them from captivity toward the promise. Their first break is sitting in the sand around the base of Mount Sinai. That's when God gives them these bumpers. They still have the mind and the understanding of slavery. And he says, y'all, I wanna reframe your understanding of identity. The Egyptians told you that God's name was Ra, and he was a sun god. And he rose in the morning, and then he beat down mercil mercilessly on you all day as you made bricks. And then when Ra went down to the underworld to deal with all this stuff down there, Loki and all kinds of stuff, when he went down there, to the underworld at sunset, then a new night god came up and he's a giant serpent. And if you aren't super, super careful at night, he's gonna devour you. That's what they'd been taught. That was the belief system in ancient Egypt. You've got these people, I mean, they're just fresh out of Egypt. They still smell like Egypt. They still have the mind of Egypt. And he said, I wanna, I wanna reframe your understanding. First of all, let me make it really, really clear that I'm the one who set the moon and the stars and the sun into place. And I did it for your good, to warm your body and so that your crops would grow so that you can eat. So I'm actually creator God. And there's no giant snake who comes out at night and is gonna eat you. So you don't have to be afraid to go outside of your home at night. So let me reframe your identity. And then because you matter so much to me, because you are not slaves, 
because I don't want you to be in captivity. I want you to get rid of those chains, not just around your feet and your wrists, but around your mind. I'm gonna give you a Sabbath because I don't want you to work yourselves to death. You matter so much to me. I don't want you to grind yourself into the ground. I want you to have a day where you can realign your mind and your heart with me, when you can remember how much you matter to me. I want you to have a day of restoration. It's not about belly buttons, y'all. It's not about a punitive God who's mad at us and wants us to follow the rules. It's about a God who loves us. From the very beginning, he's loved us. Our culture tends to think of God as kind of a, an angry, unibrowed God in the Old Testament. I was listening to a podcast recently. I told the girls this on Friday night, and I heard a woman who, I know this woman pretty well. She's gone through a period of, of she's kind of dismantled everything she used to believe, and she no longer believes the Bible is authoritative or that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God. And she said, you know, she said, if you're gonna listen or read the Bible, listen to or read the Bible at all, just focus on the red letters in the New Testament because that's all that Jesus said. And I thought, oh, you punkin', punkin', sweet moron. Because we read at the very beginning in Genesis that our God is a Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's always been there. The Holy Spirit didn't just debut in Acts 2 when everybody had fun. That, that's not his debutante party. It says he was hovering over the earth before God spoke it into existence. We have a Trinitarian God. He's not mean in the Old Testament and nice with with hair extensions, Jesus in the New Testament. He has always been a good God who loves us. Even what we think of as rules are for our good, they're for our redemption. He says, I'm giving you these bumpers because I want you to have a blessed life. I want you to experience the, the wholeness of the peace that I brought you. I want you to have joy. I want you to have nights that you don't have to take Ambien because you have so many thoughts in your head. I want you to be able to lie down in rest and know that I'm holding you. The people are afraid, just like Missy, they wince. They think that God is gonna smack them around and so God, because he's always been good, because he has always been in the process of redeeming our inherent dignity as his image bears, because he's always been in the process of mitigating evil, of getting rid of the things that wound us, his beloved. He's always been in the process of pointing us toward Jesus. That God, that kind God recognizes my people are wincing over these parameters that I gave to bless them. So I'm gonna write a compassionate PS. I'm gonna give them some clarification. And we hardly ever get to this PS, this Paul Harvey part of the 10 Commandments. It begins in verse 22. And the Lord said to Moses, this is right after he gives them the 10 Commandments, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth, I want you to highlight or circle earth if you've got a brick and mortar Bible, um, rabbit trail. Those of you under 40, 
I've noticed we hardly ever bring brick and mortar Bibles to church, and that's totally cool because our, our phones are so much lighter. I get that. But if you don't have a brick and mortar Bible, a leather bound Bible, a cloth bound Bible in your home or your apartment or your condo or your parents' basement, if you don't have access to a, to a brick and mortar Bible, y'all, that's like a, an old man in short shorts. That's just sad because there will be seasons in your life that are difficult. I'm not trying to say it's hard. It actually just gets better and better with Jesus. But, but we live in a broken planet, marred by sin. There will be seasons when you feel discouragement. And I'm telling you, I do not get encouraged laying in bed with an iPad on my chest. But when I've got a brick and mortar Bible that I've put dates in and I've written in that I remember, oh, Pastor John said this. Oh, this is when Debbie told me she was praying about me. And here's the prayer that's come to pass. I love that Pastor Brandon said we love that prayer cards become praise cards. We write those things in our Bibles. If you can't afford a brick and mortar Bible, please see one of the, the greeters here at James River. And again, please hear me. I don't mean any condemnation in that. I don't bring my brick and mortar Bible to a lot of places because it's heavy and it breaks my purse. But make sure you have one in your home that you can write in, that you can underline. God says that an altar of earth, in some of your translations that will say dirt, an altar of dirt you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep. I want you to underline or highlight your, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and I will bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it with hewn stones. Underscore, circle, hewn. We'll come back to that in just a second. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it, and you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it, underscore or highlight nakedness. There's four points he makes in this compassionate PS that, boy, they are so pertinent to us today. The first thing he says to these people who think it's all about the rules, it's all about the rules, he's going to hit me over the head with a 50-pound Bible. He goes, no, 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 it's not about you. Actually, anywhere there's a pile of dirt, you can worship. Not about being fancy. It's not about what you bring to the table. If there's dirt, you can come before me and focus your attention and your affection on me, and you can worship. It's not about the color of the carpeting. It's not about whether you have a drum kit or a pipe organ. It's not about whether you wear torn jeans. I had a woman call me a Jezebel not too many years ago based on what I was wearing. And she said, God will never bless you as long as you're dressed like that. I was actually wearing a long skirt because I used to work for Focus on the Family. And I love Focus on the Family. But when I was on staff at Focus, we were not allowed to wear pants and we were not allowed to wear open-toed shoes because somebody had told Dr. Dobson that the line between a woman's big toe and her second toe was reminiscent of cleavage and could cause men to stumble. Gentlemen, <laughs> if my feet are a stumbling block to you, you got bigger issues than my shoes. But anyway, I know that some people get all fired up about how we dress. As long as you're dressed modestly 
as long as you're coming together, as Hebrew says, don't forsake the assembling. Doesn't matter where you do it, what you're dressed like. Do you know the word Jesus uses for worship in John chapter four? Because we all think worship is about the style of music. So you've either got Bethel going on or you've got, you know, a hymnal. Y'all, the word he uses for worship is proskuneo in the Greek. It means to move towards so as to kiss. It's not about the style of our music. It's about the posture of our hearts. Are you coming toward Jesus so as to kiss and be kissed? Are you not distracted by the, the things that we call doctrinal? Most of them are just preferential. You can come together in a pile of dirt and focus your attention on Jesus. And God said, that's worship. And then he says, I want you to bring to me your sheep and your oxen. In other words, you don't get to go to the woods behind your house and trap a raccoon. You can't grab a deer on the side of the road that's already been hit. You can't, you can't drag in a possum that your kids have been playing with after they shot it with a BB gun, because I know how y'all are in Missouri. He says, no, no, you can't bring wild animals to me. I want you to bring a sheep from your backyard. When this sheep's mama was killed by a coyote, you bottle fed this little lamb. Your kids have played with this lamb. You have named this lamb. I want you to bring something that's personal to you. I want you to bring all of you to all of me. You bring intimate things to me. You bring personal things to me. Then he says, when you make an altar, a place to worship me, don't use hewn stones. Any of you gentlemen in, in, who are in construction, can you tell us what a hewn stone is? Exactly. It's a stone, it's a rock that's been carved. Somebody who's worked with stone, do you know how we always call Jesus a carpenter? Do you know it's a terrible translation? The word we get carpenter from is tecton, because you know about stonemasonry, you'll appreciate this. In the Greek, it means stonemason. You know, there's no trees to work with in Israel if you've ever been there. Dr. John can tell you that olive trees are the main tree in Israel, and you don't cut them down for the wood because the olives are much more valuable for oil. You don't cut down an olive tree. You get the fruit from the olive tree. Remember how we're told when Solomon built the temple, he had to float in cedars from Lebanon? You remember that? So Jesus probably didn't work with wood. There's a huge city that was being built by one of Herod's sons. Remember Herod the goober who tried to kill baby Jesus? And then he had a bunch of sons named Herod. It's like George Foreman named all of his boys George and did the George Foreman grill. It's kind of like that. So Herod was having this huge city named Sephorus built as a testament to him. He was a narcissist. Three miles from Nazareth. Do you remember how many people lived in Nazareth, Jesus' hometown? I mean, it makes Ozark look like New York City, y'all. Nazareth was two or 300 people. Jesus didn't work with a bandsaw in Nazareth. He and Joe packed their lunches and their yetis and they walked to the forest and they worked with stone. It was a stonemason, sorry, I don't wanna get us off track. Anyway, he says, don't bring hewn stones. Do you know why God says, don't bring stones that you have chiseled? Because our tendency as humans is if we have helped 
shape something, we think we get to share in the glory. I made that stone. Look at that stone. I carved my initials in that stone. Look at that. And God says, no, no, it's my glory. It's never been about you. It has always been about me. I was at a women's conference not too long ago. God was just showing off. And I said to the girl next to me, who was on the leadership team for this particular conference, I said, wow, this is amazing. And she said, oh no, it's not about me. It's all about God. And I was like, well, I wasn't even thinking about you until you brought you up. I was like, of course. It's all about God. If any great thing happens, of course it's about God. He said, do not, do not be distracted by what you bring to the table. It's not about you. I love you. It's about me. It's always been about me. John Calvin in the 1500s said that we are little idle factories. We tend to be focused on ourselves instead of focused on God. He said, y'all don't get, don't get stressed out about the rules and don't get distracted by what you bring to the table. I just want you to focus your attention and your affection on me. And then the very last part of this biblical PS is my favorite verse because unlike your pastor, I'm a little naughty. Verse 26 of Exodus 20, and you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. The NIV says so that your private parts won't be able to be seen. I told you I used to be on staff at Focus on the Family and when I was on staff at Focus, I loved it. It was a great ministry, but um, I decided to leave Focus because I wanted to go back to seminary and I wanted to work on a church staff so that I'd be less of a heretic. And so uh, I wanted to say goodbye to as many people in Colorado as I could find. There were about 1,200 people on staff at that time. So I walked all over the ministry the last week I was there just hugging as many people as I could, saying goodbye to as many people as I could. There was one gentleman I wasn't sure that I was gonna get to say goodbye to face to face because he traveled a lot on behalf of Focus. His name is Stan. And so I was really tickled. I think it was the second of the last day I was on staff. I stepped out of the restroom into the hallway and there stood Stan. And I went, Stan! And uh, I said, I'm so excited to see you. I didn't think I'd get to say bye to you face to face. And I said, I'm, I'm going to Nashville, Tennessee. And he said, yeah, I heard. I heard you're going back to seminary. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, let me speak a blessing over you. And I said, oh, that'd be wonderful. And he began to speak just this amazing blessing over me, just about how my steps would be ordered and how God would bring me peace and how my boundary lines would fall in pleasant places. This beautiful kind of Hebraic blessing. The only weird thing about it was he would not look me in the eyes as he was speaking this blessing over me. And he's a brilliant guy, so I thought he's just pondering something in Hebrew. So I kept trying to scooch so I could get into his line of vision. So he'd look at me as he's saying these promises and he wasn't having it. He just kept looking away from me. Well, when he said goodbye and turned to walk toward his office, I turned to walk toward mine and I felt this little draft. And I looked down and was horrified to see that evidently I'd been a little too quick in the restroom and I had um, tucked my skirt into my underwear. So my skirt was all bunched up in my underwear and we had to wear hose, pantyhose, 
when I was on staff at Focus, which I think is from the devil, and so I always <laughs> cheated and wore thigh highs. So there I am, gentlemen, you don't need to Google it because you won't be able to unsee it. But I'm standing there in these half hose that make everything else flop out, which is it's quite unattractive. Standing there in thigh highs and my skirt tucked up in my underwear as poor Stan is trying to focus on a biblical blessing. And when I looked down, I mean, I just started laughing. I was just like, I am such a goober. I mean, I am like a living blooper reel. Y'all, that's what he's saying. After the Ten Commandments, he's saying, y'all, y'all are all prone to let your stuff hang out. And you don't have the grace to cover your own junk. And I love you so much. You matter so much to me that I will cover you. I'll cover you. Y'all, from beginning to end, not just in the Gospels, from beginning to end, this is not a rule book. It's a love story. From beginning to end, beginning to end, he had you on his mind. From beginning to end, he said he's, He's precious to me. I love that man. I will set favor on that man. That's my son. He's precious to me. That's my girl. Isn't she beautiful? That's my daughter. I will erect a fence around her to protect her and to guard her heart because she's precious to me. He's had us on his mind the whole time. And he has loved us the whole time. He's not mad at you. He is madly in love with you. Always has been. Always will be.